But can we just pray one more time for, for tonight that God would give us, just quiet us and settle us tonight and give us ears to hear. And Father, that's our prayer, that we would be still and know that You're God. And every other thought that's distracting God, would every thought would be th- brought captive to the obedience of Christ. We just hear You tonight. We would just see You tonight, God. We'd open up Your Word, this living Word of God that You've so graciously given us, God. And You would just speak to us through it tonight. And comfort our hearts and still our hearts and instruct us and, and, and strengthen our faith, God. You said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And don't let us doze off and don't let us daydream. Help us, God, to set our hearts and minds upon You and feed us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can open your Bibles if you would. We're continuing our study on 1 Peter. So let's turn to 1 Peter. We're going to start chapter 3. I'm going to read the first seven verses and then we're going to just talk about this passage tonight. So y'all read with me in your Bibles. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the Word, they also may without the Word be won by the conversation or the lifestyle of the wives while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be with outward adorning of plaiting the hair and wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is is of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement or sudden fear, is what that's talking about. We're going to spend a little time talking about this. As I said, as we move on through this epistle epistle of 1 Peter, uh, we're moving basically from what I would say more of a doctrinal things about the blood of Jesus and things like that to practical things. Both are of the Lord. Both are needed. Okay, And so here he's talking specifically about this relationship between a husband and a wife and how it's to be. And uh, I just want to read a couple of quotes here because marriage is something that's uh, so under attack. I don't think we have to you know, be a Bible scholar or anything to know that. It's very, the family's under attack. God instituted that. And I don't know who these people were specifically, but they lived during the Roman Empire. Uh, Cyrus's wife, Panthea, and she said of her husband, if ever there was a side of herself, if ever there was a woman that regarded her husband more than her own soul, I am that woman. Pliny's, Pliny said of his wife, she loves me, and it's the surest pledge of her virtue. Her affection is not founded upon my worth or person, but she is in love with the immortal part of me. Now, the reason I read those is because those are rarities. You hate to say it, but they're rarities. You see more uh, marriage under attack, marriage even belittled or ridiculed. It's a loose tie. It's a loose band. And we have to remember that the... the era in the culture that Jesus stepped into when He came to this earth. He didn't come to like uh, at some point in Israel's history when there was revival going on and David was sitting on the throne. He came to this earth when uh, 
when things were in a state of declining or declension morally, okay, into the Roman Empire. And actually, you might have read books or, or you know, statements about the fall of the Roman Empire and maybe ten things that led to it. And you would see a lot of similarities between that and the United States of America right now. But one of the main things was the, the erosion of the family and of the marriage. There was incredible immorality and fornication. There was, uh, it was, that's, that's just the, the world basically into which Jesus came. And it was when God had him to come. And that's when Peter is writing this epistle by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and instructing wives and husbands and so forth in their marriage relationship. And so even in, even in Judaism, the, the Jews were not a whole lot better because, um, you know, where, where they, they challenged Jesus and said, Jesus, Moses said that a, a man can put away his wife, you know, give her a bill of divorcement. And he says, well, the Lord, my father, from the beginning, it wasn't so. Okay, the, the Lord's purpose and plan, that's what you always have to go back to the heart of it in the beginning. All right. In the beginning in the Garden of Eden, God said it wasn't good that the man should be alone. And he gave said, I'm going to make a helpmate for Adam. And we know the story and you hear it at weddings and it's appropriate that the Lord didn't take um, take the rib, you know, take the woman and, and make him from his feet, but from his side and not from his head to be over him and not from his feet to be under him. But he took uh, one of Adam's ribs and made the woman and gave him her back to him and said, this is your helper, your helpmate. Um, and so, but even in Judaism, you know, they, they were looking, I was just studying, they said if, if uh, there any excuse to get out of a marriage, the, the priests would basically put their stamp of approval on. If a man came and said, she doesn't cook well, I don't, literally, she doesn't cook well, she, she spoils the dinner and it's nasty. Uh, they could give, he could give a divorcement for that. It was just very not... Is that God's plan for marriage? No. We see it. For this cause shall a man leave his, his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and the two shall be one. And, and let nothing but death put that in division. Okay? Or divide that. Nothing but death or infidelity we see in the Bible where Jesus said that. Okay? And even in unfaithfulness it doesn't have to be put to an end. But it can be. That's, a, that's an uh, allowable reason you know for for the marriage to end so having said that here we see uh, that the lord has given uh came into that background and began to speak these words and so we're going to look at what is a woman's place or position in the home according to the bible and what should be her adorning adorning that would be like her her beauty that we're going to talk about in fact i'm probably going to spend most time on that tonight and her treatment by her husband. So those are three things that really are talked about in this passage. And then the husband's uh, treating of her wife. You know, how, how he's to dwell with her. First of all, we would look at her position. And so if you look right at the beginning in verse 1, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that in, if any obey not the word, they may without the word be won by the conversation of their wives. And so he says, likewise, you wives. So what is the likewise? It's tying into the end of chapter 2 where it talks about Jesus being our shepherd and bishop and that all believers are under the subjection or submission uh, to the Lord. And that's the way. 
that's the way in which wives are to be in subjection to their own husbands. And uh, so we, we understand that there's no partiality. In, in other words, when the Bible says in Christ there's neither male nor female, right? Now we have to understand what that means. It doesn't mean that God doesn't recognize the difference between a male and female. He created us. And then once we're Christians, all that goes out the window. That's not what He's saying. You know, like somebody could stretch that to, to you know, two men can get married, two women can, women can get married. It doesn't matter. That's not what He's saying. He's saying in Christ, as far as who we are in the Lord, you're a redeemed soul. You're part of the family of God. We're the sons and daughters of God. Each one with a mutual respect and position. D is just as redeemed, just as much uh, cherished by the Lord, loved by the Lord, uh, can, can have, you know, be used by the Lord and so forth. There's no difference. He doesn't stack in order those things and, and put one above the other. And so we need to know that when we're talking about submission and so forth. Christ didn't come to destroy the law, right? He says He came to fulfill it. So we're going to get our teachings on marriage from the Word of God. Jesus, in the Gospels, when the times He was questioned about marriage or spoke about marriage, what did He refer to? The Scriptures. In the beginning, God created man and woman. In the, you know, made them male and female and brought them together. He's always deferring to the, to the Word of the Lord. And so I want to read... Uh, just kind of go over this when we talk about sub- subjection and submission. Where, uh, for example, in James 4 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. That's all believers, right? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Here it says, wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Likewise, okay, as unto the shepherd, as unto the Lord. The, the submission that the Bible speaks of when it talks about being in subjection or submission to, it's talking about a voluntary choice it's different than and what i always picture in my mind i picture those egyptian taskmasters beating the israelite slaves the israelite slaves were beat into submission they were groaning for their freedom they're crying out deliver us deliver us 400 years of bondage god says i've seen their affliction i'm coming to deliver them moses i want to use you to do it the taskmaster just represented Pharaoh and then him imposing his will on them, them having no choice, right? That is not the picture of submission that the Bible speaks of. The, the submission or subjection is one where we put ourselves under. We say, I choose to be in submission to the Lord. I choose to yield to Him. Even Jesus in the garden, not as I will, but as Thou will. I'm deferring my will in everything in life. I'm deferring it to the Lord Jesus Christ. That He will govern my life. He has the rightful uh, position to do that. I'm choosing Christ. And I'm choosing to bring myself under submission to the Lord. And that is what's spoken of here when it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. All Christians are in subjection to the Lord. Where we're not, it's sin. Where we're not, it's rebellion. Because He bought us with His own blood. He has the rightful uh, right rightful right to to reign and rule over our lives okay and so a, a wife is to be in subjection to their husband even if the husband is not saved now we're going to try to clear this up from, from the bible the best we can that that the wife may win them to the lord 
may win them to the Lord by her conduct. That simply means her conversation, her conduct, her behavior. The Bible uses that, that word a lot. And so this would, honestly, that would be foreign to the world. If you talk to now, probably in a lot of churches, but just anywhere out in society, you go to the workplace and you talk about wives being in subjection to their husbands, you're probably going to get a little kickback on that, right? And it's almost funny, it's almost comical, but it shouldn't be funny, it shouldn't be comical. It's what the Bible says. And so, but not knowing Jesus and not knowing the Word of God and God's order and what subjection means, then they just get that in their minds. I'm not about to to bend over backwards for Him and and be His slave or whatever. And so, we get kickback from that, but the the world thinks that's strange or foreign. Well, it is strange and foreign, but not to the Lord and not to the redeemed of the Lord and not what He can actually do in and through a life. And so it's, it's strange, but it, it shouldn't be. And so um, I'll ask the question, should, and you know the answer to this, but is that just a down-the-line sub- subjection or submission on the wife's part to where no questions asked, total, complete obedience to the husband all the way down the line, whatever he says goes? I know, I know that that's not the case because we have other Scriptures in the Bible as well. And other scriptures would say, be holy as, as he is, as the Lord's holy. So what if, for example, and I'm totally making up the most extreme examples, but let's just say the husband was, you know, Bonnie and Clyde or something, and the husband says, we're going to go rob banks, and we're going to do this, and we're going to... The, the wife is not in a spiritual obligation to that, to the Lord. Anything that would be illegal, and anything that would be ungodly, or unchristian, or go against the Lord. Remember, we had the same conversation. We talked about uh, obeying to kings and magistrates and the authorities that are over you to obey them. Right? That's what the Bible says. But we don't obey those when it comes to a contradiction between God's law and man's law. And we don't disobey the Lord when it comes to obeying the wife, obeying the husband, or God. If there's a difference, if it's just unpleasant. And it's not what she would prefer. It's not the life that she would have chosen for herself. Yet it's not against the Lord. Then yes, that's exactly what we're talking about. Being in subjection in those areas. And it can be difficult. Okay, It can be hard. And so, um, we're not talking about just following the husband off of some spiritual dark cliff into sin and say, well, I'm obeying God. That's not what the Bible's teaching. God would never do that. He would never put that on, on a, a person, someone that He's redeemed. Our first allegiance is to the Lord. Paul says, if the unbelieving spouse be pleased to dwell with you, okay, there are some people that, uh, you know, one's saved and one's lost, and the unbeliever is lost. Of course, they're an unbeliever, but they're pleased to dwell with their spouse. You know what? Then stay in that and walk in that. And then pray. we can pray that the, that unbelieving spouse gets saved. More than just the words that the person, the spouse would preach, would be the life that they live. It appears that, uh, according when you read this, it almost appears that the wife, for example, in this passage that we're reading, got saved afterwards. In other words, that happens a lot of times, right? A husband and wife get married. They're just in darkness. They're just in the world. They're not unequally yoked because they're both lost. 
and they get married together. And let's say the wife gets saved later, and the husband's not yet saved. That's kind of the picture that's given here. And so the question could immediately pop up, and I'm thankful that the Bible answers these things for us. We're ignorant. We just don't know. The question could be, okay, the, the woman says, all right, I just got saved. My husband's lost. Should I leave him? What if she really didn't know? And the Bible said, no, don't leave him. Okay? Don't leave him. Let that be your mission field. Okay? And what if they say, okay, well now I'm saved and I'm the child of God and I'm washed in the blood of Jesus and I'm the head and not the tail and my husband's lost, so should I be the head of our family? Should I um, have an attitude of superiority within the home? No. Wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Okay, likewise, right? As we all are in subjection or under the, uh, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so the Bible's answering these things for us in that position that he's put you in he knew when you were getting saved for example wives that your husband was still lost he knew that he still saved you okay and by your life and your saved lifestyle day in and day out he desires to reach your husband that's what's going on here and uh the, the unbelieving husband may be won by the beauty of the life, of the lifestyle of the saved wife. Okay? There's a great promise in that, in fact. There's a great hope in that. Now, this does not speak to the fact that should the, should the saved person ever marry in a lost person? What about that? Obviously, no. We have the, the Scriptures on that as well. What fellowship does light have with darkness? And we're not to be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Very clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So don't date an unbeliever, so you won't marry an unbeliever, and that kind of thing. This does not speak to that. Another passage speaks to that. Alright? But you, the wife gets saved after they're married. Thank the Lord she got saved. Now the Lord's going to be working on that husband. It's not horrible. It doesn't have to be all horrible. It can be difficult, but it doesn't have to be horrible. And when, when there's true love, for example, uh, and both people are saved, these commandments like this are almost useless. I mean, we still have them, but think about it. If, if I'm loving Dee the way I'm supposed to, and she's loving me the way she's supposed to, and we're both loving the Lord the way we're supposed to, this kind of stuff doesn't really come into play hour by hour and day by day. You understand what I'm saying? You rarely or if ever would have to say to your spouse, submit, woman. You know what I mean? It's just because we both love Jesus and we're living for God and we both have the Holy Spirit in us. Love, love defines it all. You understand what I'm saying? But He's defining it for us here how it should be in, in practicality, like how it should actually be uh, lived out. So love defines it, uh, the positions. And the wife realizes this is all unto the Lord. I think this is the key in everything. Every time where you prefer someone, every time where you esteem others better than yourself, any time where we're called to love our enemies, and we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves, and the neighbor in the, in the Good Samaritan story was a total stranger, right, that he took care of. We, these seem so self-sacrificing. But it only makes sense in light of I'm doing this unto the Lord. Because this is how my Savior is. And this is how He's called me to be. Remember in the last couple of weeks on Wednesdays, 
in those about submitting to authorities or even if you had let's say your boss was a real jerk and in this day you're a slave and your master you're a believer and your your master is a real cruel harsh person it doesn't say uh, try to escape it says you serve them because this is well pleasing to the lord not only to the gentle and the kind but also to the froward it says the wicked the mean you serve them and the bible says a soft answer turns away wrath so i'm going to get my instructions from the Word of God. It looks strange to the world. And I'm going to get my strength and power to do it from the Holy Spirit Himself living inside of me. It's not enough for me to take these things and say, wives, submit and go hand it out like on a piece of paper. If we're not born again and empowered by the Holy Spirit and constantly in communion with the Lord, we're not going to be able to do that. It's His strength that enables us to do it. And so love really defines that and takes care of it. So without a word, necessarily, <clears throat> that unbelieving spouse can be one to the Lord. A soul can be converted. In fact, that's a mission, missionary in that marriage is that saved spouse. The way they live, the way they act. Yes, I'm sure they'll share the Gospel at times. And they'll, they'll be quiet at times and they'll just obey the Lord and be a good wife even when it's hard. And again, that, that looks impossible to the world. It is impossible to the world. And it looks strange, but God makes it possible for us. And so, uh, let's talk about this, her adorning. And I wanted to spend some time on this. Speaking about the wife's adorning. Who's adorning? Verse 3. Let it not be that outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair and wearing of, the gold, of gold and putting on of apparel. I want to read what one pastor said. He says, It does not seem the apostle forbids plaiting the hair or wearing of gold any more than he does the putting on of apparel. Okay? Religion does not consist in the presence or absence of these things. So what is he saying? Do you see how that can be out of balance? This would be a key Scripture that a United Pentecostal... Again, when I mention another religion in their beliefs... I'm talking about Catholics or UPC or I'm talking about Mormons or Jehovah's Witness. The point is not we're better than them ever. I pray you know that about me. The point is to show what does the Bible say and what what does their religious creed say. And if there's a difference, we always go with the Bible. Okay? I'm simply saying here that is where the United Pentecostals, for example, among some of their other beliefs in Jesus only, they don't believe in a trinity, and so forth. They, where you see, you can say that's a UPC person. Say a woman, for example. You can't really tell the men. The, the woman's going to have the long hair and, and up in a bun kind of thing or the long hair uncut, not wearing makeup and, and not, not wearing jewelry and things like this. And they are going to get that from a passage, probably this passage. All right? But that, is that really what's teaching? Do you think the Lord really cares that much. And I totally agree with what the, this pastor said. God's not forbidding the plaiting of hair or putting on jewelry any more than He is forbidding wearing of apparel. Alright? What is He saying? We're talking about here, and this is the key to this passage. It says, let her adorning be, not be, the jewelry and the fancy hair and the fancy clothes. Don't let that be 
your beauty, women. Let your beauty be the work of God in your life that comes from within, back out, that shines in your countenance and is in your speech and is in your conduct and is your gentleness with your children and with your husband. That is the beauty. Okay, that is the beauty the Lord uh, that makes Him smile. That's the beauty He's looking for. Now let's talk about the clothes just for a minute. The one law, I guess, that would define it all, what's being spoken of here, is, is to be modest. Alright? Paul talks about that in the first or second Timothy as well. But let it be such as that it honors the Lord. Whatsoever you do in word or deed. It says even in what you eat and drink. So he's talking about the most basic things. That's 1 Corinthians 10.31. Where eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So that would include our dress and so forth. Now, if, if a certain style of dress, for example, I don't just mean a dress, I mean the way men dress, women dress, anybody. If a certain style of clothing is associated with something very worldly or sinful, like this is the kind, before a lady got saved, and says this is the kind of dress I used to wear to the nightclubs when I was trying to attract men, okay? It, don't wear that now. Because it's associated with that. Everybody knows it's associated with that. The world knows it and the church knows it. It's a distraction. It's not honoring to the Lord. Okay, I'm not sitting here telling women how to dress or not to dress. I'm simply saying uh, there's some pointers to go by from the Bible. If it's associated, let's say if it was associated with some idolatrous worship that they were into before and they wore this when they went to sacrifice to their idols. And everybody knows that that garment or that style of dress is associated with that lifestyle. It has no part for you to bring in now to your new life in Christ. So these are just some guidelines. Okay? These are just some guidelines. And I think that, that some people can get uh, over, I guess, overly uh, engrossed in this or what they wear and they they get so entangled up in it, they don't have any freedom or liberty at all. But at the same time, I think that we can go to the Lord and ask Him. We can go to the Word of God, and we can go to, to the Lord and ask Him. Certainly God who saved us and is our Lord would have the right to govern how we dress. Right? And I don't think, it's, that's not the biggest hang-up for most people. But we're still, it's in the Word of God, and I wanted to talk about it. So, we can cast that responsibility on God basically and say, Lord, You show me. This is all new for me. I just got saved yesterday. I'm coming out of this, this, and this. I don't know how to, to dress. Well, the Holy Ghost very quickly is going to begin to show you. Y'all you ever read that? And I go to it all the time, but Sammy Moore, Samuel Moore, anybody read that book about the, the young African boy that was uh, getting ready to be killed by a rival tribe and somehow... He escapes and he runs through the jungle and he comes to this, he sees a light through the jungle and it's a missionary camp there. And he goes there for safety. He was just about to die at the hands of a rival tribe and he got saved. And he, he got filled with the Holy Spirit and he wanted to come to America and he's on a ship um, and he's serving on the ship as like a cabin boy for the captain. And he was saved and the captain was a vile, filthy, drunkard, mean person. That's the kind of captain of the ship. 
and he was in his quarters all the time. The captain's out on deck doing something, and Sammy Morris is in there. He had not been saved for long, and he clean he throws all the trash up, and he cleans up the, ca the captain's cabin. He makes it look nice and tidy and clean and scrubs it and gets everything in its place and primer proper, and the captain comes in. Of course, he's furious. He doesn't like it cleaned up like this. And Sammy Moore says, the Holy Ghost is holy, and he doesn't want to live in a dump like this, and I'm cleaning it up. You know, and he hadn't been saved for long, but the Holy Ghost showed him about that. You understand what I'm saying? I think the Holy Spirit, well, if we honestly will go to him, he's going to lead us in a lot of things, even if we're not a Bible scholar or a new, or a new convert or something like that. So I would just say when it comes to the dress, and the jewelry and so forth, don't let it be associated with some worldly lifestyle. And let it always be modest. The Bible does say that. And then defer to the Lord. Go to Him and pray about it. You know, should I wear this out, Lord? Should I go out in public, you know, wearing this? And I would say that for men and women. Put the responsibility on the Lord. The key is, again, the adorning. What is it that is and I would say this for men too, but the Bible is speaking about women here. What is it that's the woman's beauty? Beauty. She's a believer. The believing woman and the, and the believing wife. What uh, constitutes her beauty? Is it just the outward, the jewelry, the hair, the dress, the pretty makeup and, and everything like that? Or is it the inward working of the Lord Jesus Christ in her heart? And that's important. That's very important, okay? And I would say there's a lot of people in life that outwardly they might be almost perfect looking, like a model or something like that. No flaws, no freckles, no pimples, no nothing, you know? Not losing their hair, everything's perfect. And you say, wow, they almost look fake. They're so beautiful, you know? And yet inwardly they could just be uh, empty and ugly and without the Lord, okay? And the, and the reverse of that is true as well where somebody might not have a lot of money to get the nicest things or the finest things, but they're so kind in Jesus and so Christ-like and so gentle. There's such a love that comes out of them. That's who you, we're attracted to. And that's who the Lord... Uh, that's what it says in God's eyes is of great value. And aren't we living to please Him? Alright, so this is not forbidding. I don't believe at all this is forbidding. Wearing apparel, okay, hallelujah... Or, or wearing jewelry, or fixing up the hair, and just going around trying to be ugly, I don't think glorifies the Lord either. But the concentration and the, 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 the important thing by far has to be what's from the inside coming back out. And uh, I just want to read this because I had taken some notes. The word adorning, it means behavior, fashion, decoration. And the question is, uh, what should or should not decorate my life? It should be the working of the Lord in my heart. The beauty should be that which is inside. It's in, God, in God's eyes. It's of great price. Amen. And so, if we'll turn our, if the wife would turn her heart to the Lord, He'll take care of that. He'll show her how to dress, how to act, to to live with her unbelieving spouse, and so forth. And the result is going to be, God's going to bless that life. He's going to get His glory back out of that life and prayerfully win that husband to the Lord. Okay, the unbelieving husband to the Lord. Now let's look at this just for a minute. How is the wife to be treated? Likewise, you husbands. I'm sorry, verse 7. 
Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. I remember hearing a preacher preach on this one time, and I thought it was wonderful. He talked about husbands dwelling with their wives in knowledge. And I believe it's speaking of a spiritual knowledge, because if you look up that word, it's similar to, for the same word is, you know, this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, or if it's speaking about spiritual knowledge and understanding. So what does it mean a husband should dwell? It says, likewise, husbands, I've, now he's shifted gears, the Christian husband, dwell with your wives in knowledge. And I believe and that it's speaking of that a man and a woman should strive, husband and wife, should strive to stay, stay on the same spiritual plane and level of maturity. Dee and I have talked about this before. We've taught it in uh, a couple Sunday school classes and even in marriage, uh, premarital counseling and things like this before. And we've talked about that it can be the case where two husband and wife are both saved. Hallelujah. They both love Jesus. But the husband is far outgrowing the wife. Or a con- you know, the reverse is true. The wife could far be outgrowing the husband. Husband's always working all the time. When he comes home, he's tired. He just wants to eat, go to bed, start the next day. And the wife's going to ladies' Bible studies and she's studying, or vice versa. The man's going off to men's conferences and men's retreats. The woman's so busy raising the children, all she can do is feed the bunch of kids and pass out, you know? And not having her time with the Lord. It would be the husband's responsibility to make sure that that wife has the time with the Lord. In other words, honey, if I can uh, help around the house for an hour a day, instead of me watching TV and come home and give you that time to go pray, then I want to do that. It's important. I promise you, husbands, it's worth it. Okay? And wives, it's worth it. For Vice versa. To, to, to try to stay on the same page. Remember when the Lord uh, came in an in, in incarnate pre-incarnate manifestation came to Abraham, the three men. He appeared in his tent in the heat of the day. And Abraham goes out to meet him. He knew exactly who it was. He says, let me fix a meal for you before you go. They were going to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And after they're having this conversation, and the Lord says to Abraham, where is Sarah thy wife? And it's almost like a question... Well, the Lord knows where Sarah is. She was in the tent. She probably could hear what was going on right outside the tent with Abraham and the Lord having this conversation. But it's almost like the question is, do you know where she is? Like, do you know where she is? Where's her faith right now? Because in that conversation, the Lord said to Abraham, Sarah overhears it. She's not part of it. She's right off to the side of the tent. The Lord said to Abraham, at the time appointed, the time of man, when it's the natural time, your wife Sarah is going to have a son. And she, not being part of the conversation, but hearing it, laughs. And the Lord said to her later in that conversation, uh, why did you laugh? And she, and she denied it and said, I didn't laugh. And you know the story. But the whole point was that God wanted Abraham to know where your wife is. If you're going to go along and, and, and y'all, are, y'all are one and you're going to be going along with me and having these conversations with me and the father of the, of the nation of Israel and so forth, you need to make sure your wife's caught up with you as well. And y'all are walking in, both walking in faith in me. Alright? 
And so we know she did because we get to Hebrews 11. It says, By faith Sarah received strength to conceive and bear a son in her old age because she esteemed Him faithful who promised. And so she went from doubt to faith. God's always doing that. But do you understand the point about husbands dwelling with their wives in knowledge? Try to stay on the same page. Because what will happen is, let's say the man gets really mature in the Lord and the wife's way back here for whatever reason. Whatever the reason is for that. He might get bored with her. Even spiritually. You know? And vice versa. We need to stay together in the Lord. And so, and it says, uh, dwell with them in knowledge according to uh, giving honor unto the wife as the weaker vessel. Weaker doesn't just mean weaker like you think. Like uh, I was trying to think of a good example. If I was going to build this door door frame or something, I wouldn't get just a tiny little piece of, of wood that's about as thick as this paper. Okay, It's weaker. I'm going to get the right lumber for the job that will hold it. But weaker also means in this context more uh, like something to be cherished or valuable. And probably the most valuable, in, in a physical sense, a lot of the most valuable things that we have are things that you got to be real careful with because they're going to break. You know, some piece of china, some some carving, some uh, vase that you know don't get it near me. You know, because I'll break it or whatever. They're valuable. It's not just that they're weaker, but they're weaker, but they're more costly, and they're more valuable. And so that's that's the picture that's really given here about the wife being the weaker vessel. We need to to give that honor to the Lord. And we need to dwell, I mean, to our wives and cherish them. And the Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. So husbands are not to think that they just are to lord it over their wives at all. That's not the teaching in the Bible. We know that. But that's not the teaching. Very clear in Ephesians chapter 5. Any couples class you've ever been to, any wedding you've ever been to, you've heard it and you'll hear it again. Because it needs to be said that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved His church and gave Himself for it. No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but he cherished it and took care of it. Okay? Well, that's likewise you to take care of and love your wives. And so to honor them. And then all of this. In Ephesians 5 it says, uh, that we're all to submit ourselves one to another as unto the Lord and it, with the fear of, the, of God. Every believer. In one sense, I submit to thee. In one sense, she submits to me. Okay? And we submit in this church body. We're all submitting to Christ. He's the head of this church. His church. And we all submit to one another. Okay? And the, it just takes care of everything because nobody's fighting for their rights. When somebody starts fighting for their rights, well, I demand this, and poor me, and this, all that goes out the window because he's clearing it up from government officials were to obey, from masters, slaves obeying their masters, husbands, wives, you know, submitting to their husbands, husbands loving your wives as your own body, and cherish them as the weaker vessel. All that demanding your rights and all that stuff goes right out the window. It really does. And one thought comes in mind, and this is really going to bring this to a close, but one thought comes in mind, and that is, is it according to the Word of God? Is it honoring to God? Does my behavior glorify God? And remember, why do I yield to some spiteful boss, for example? Why do I got to have keep giving? Anybody's not around and I could goof off. 
Why not keep serving and doing the best? It's because the Lord's whispering in your ear. Do it for me. Do it because it pleases me. I'll deal with that cruel boss. I'll deal with that unbelieving spouse that's making your life miserable. Wives, Christian wives, I will deal with them. Okay? You do what I've called you to do because it's pleasing to me. Do it for my sake. Everything, y'all, we keep coming back to that. I do it for Jesus. I don't do it because I love my boss so much. I do it for Jesus. I bend over backwards and, and I, I take a lot of the garbage that comes my way and the abuse, if you want to call it that, that comes my way and being taken advantage of for years. Maybe by a spouse. Maybe by a boss. Maybe by someone else. We do it because God's called us to do that. If He ever wants you to stand up, so to speak, for your rights and He's putting an end to it, you'll know. But the day in and day out behavior is to yield uh, to the Lord. Okay? Do it as unto the Lord. It's pleasing to God. Uh, and then the last thing where he says that your prayers, because your, your heirs together of the grace of life, so husbands remember, both of y'all are going to heaven. It's not just you. Take care of that wife. The Lord loves her, died for her, redeemed her, and made him her part of his family. Your heirs together of the eternal life and the grace of God that he's given. And he says that your prayers be not hindered. And I would say anything that hinders your prayers, men or women, but here he's speaking of the men. In other words, if I'm, if I'm consistently rude and disrespectful to my spouse, to my wife, and then I'm going to go meet with the Lord. It's time for me to meet with Jesus. And I want to meet with the Lord. And I'm a pastor and I'm praying for a sermon as well. You know, God's going to call me on that. You understand what I'm saying? He's going to convict me on that. My prayers are going to be hindered if I don't deal with it. Don't think that they're not. Don't think you're going to get away with that. Treat my wife like a dish rag and then I'm going to go into the Holy of Holies and meet with the Lord. God's not going to let that slide because you know He's dealing with me. He's dealing with my heart. My prayers absolutely would be hindered. And, and I don't want my prayers to be hindered. And so He would stop me. He would convict me. If you have ought against your brother and you've come to give your gift at the altar, you first go get reconciled to your brother and then you bring that gift to the altar. Because anything that's going to hinder, uh, anything like that is going to hinder my prayers. Don't just sweep it under the rug and go in and have your prayer time. Let that be your prayer time. Time of repentance. And ask God to, to, to change your heart and then give you the opportunity to, to prove it, so to speak. I think there's sometimes when God doesn't want us to say a whole lot, He wants us to change. Amen. It's easy to go. It's easier to go back and say, "I'm sorry, dear, I acted that way." Than it is for me to really change and be different tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. I think both are important, okay? But for for the Lord to really change me, so I don't want my prayers to be hindered, men, husbands. We don't want our prayers to be hindered. Hindered. And the last thing I want to close with is this: it's it's a test. When we talk about a husband and wife relationship, this is where our Christianity, you hear the, you know, the rubber meets the road. It is not on the mission trip to Haiti where there are cute little kids that are undernourished and they're going to want us to hold them and hug them and we can 
don't want to leave because the children are so cute. I'm not ridiculing that at all. I'm saying that's to me is not the test of, the, of your Christianity. Lost people do that all the time. And they don't want to leave the little poor children either that are malnourished. The real test of the Christianity is going to be in the day in and day out, at the breakfast table, at the dinner table, when you come in tired, when you know the dishwasher broke, when things are not uh, all that you want them to be, and nobody's around, and brother so-and-so from the church is not around, and sister so-and-so and pastor so-and-so is not there, and it's not, a, you know what I mean? It's just you and your spouse, or you and your children. That's the test of our Christianity. And as one man God says, if your Christianity breaks down there, then it's broken down. It's utterly broken down. That's where God, God, one of the reasons God puts us in those intimate relationships like husband and wife. And other than our walk with Jesus, okay, is the most intimate relationship, and it's supposed to be. It's a picture of Christ and His church. He gives it as that. All right? And if our Christianity breaks down there, then it's broken down. So I need to give great heed and great attention to my spouse, my marriage. Are we dwelling together in knowledge? Uh, don't just assume, well, I know she's a Christian and she knows I'm a Christian. Are we walking together in Jesus? Am I treating her the way I would treat y'all when you walk in and kind and ask about your day and so forth? And I know y'all treat me when you walk in and we're all friendly. Now thank God for it, okay? But is that same courtesy and love and, and kindness extended to my boys and to my wife? I can't, can't say that it always is, but it needs to be. And that's something that I'm not asking you to tell me. I'm asking you to, to bring it honestly before the Lord. Okay? It has to be honored to the Lord, I guess. We'll just close with that. If, we've, if we're not loving those in our home, we've got to really question do we really love the Lord? Because He loves them. And He put them in my life. And put me in their lives. And God wants to test us right there. So, Dee, you can come on. I know it's a little bit uh, different tonight. Like I said, this is more of a practical sermon. There's a lot of single people in here, young people that aren't married and so forth. And you say, what does it have to do with me? It has everything to do with you. It's the Word of God. It's what He teaches. Okay, It's important that we know it and understand it. And still the key, whether it's going from governments to workplace to the marriage, is it do it for God's sake. You take some of the wrong. Take it. And don't whine about it. And don't start a petition or a march or a drive or demand your rights. Take it and let God vindicate you. Let God be your judge. Let God be... Jesus did. There was no guile in His mouth. And yet He subjected Himself to sinful men to nail Him on the cross and mock Him and ridicule Him. We looked at that last week. And so that's how He is our example in all of these things, right in through the marriage. Christian, uh, one's a Christian, both are Christian, whatever. Don't demand your rights. Just go before the Lord and let Him strengthen you. He's going to bless you for it. He's not going to make your life just miserable. He will give you joy in doing it. And it won't be miserable. And I thank the Lord. You know, we can all, both the husband and wives can be Christians and serving God. That's His way. Amen? That it's supposed to be. Y'all, we're just going to close in prayer. And if you need to pray for a little while about maybe God's convicted you of something.